Shabbat Shalom. It's a holy day. Shabbat. Shabbat is described in Jewish tradition as Shabbat Kotcho, the day sanctified by God. We recite those words, Shabbat Kotcho, every Shabbat during the Kiddush. I think something else is going on today, too. Of course, it's among the most sacred days for more than two billion Christians worldwide. So today is a day of peace and goodwill when both religious traditions seek relief from the daily hustle and bustle of life. It's a day dedicated to family and tradition, a moment when we cease commerce, all is quiet. We pray for better days, less turmoil, less upheaval, less suffering, more joy. And on this day, for one brief moment in time, there is the prospect of humanity united in goodwill and a world at peace. We're in desperate need for emotional support this year. On this day, a day that is holy for a third of humanity and the 14 million of us, we need to tell each other that we will be okay, that we will survive, and our lives will be restored. May 2021 be a better year. We pray that the religious passions that so many feel today can be translated in 2021 and that our faith can be a force of good in the world to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, and redeem the oppressed. Along with these universal sentiments, remember who you are. I love when Christmas falls on Shabbat or sometimes on Hanukkah because it gives me an opportunity to remind myself I don't really need that much remind me, reminding, but it gives me an opportunity to remind you that Judaism is both universal and particular, that we unite today in fellowship with so many people around the world in one human family, and still we are a distinctive family. That's how families are. The whole point of Judaism is to be involved with everyone else, to be influenced by and in turn to impact upon society, participating in its repair. But we're still a unique people. We do not wish to be so absorbed in the world that we let go of our own Jewish world. That would mean a universe without Jews, a contradiction in terms. To paraphrase Franz Kafka, do not allow your Judaism to dribble away while you're passing it on. The tension between the Jewish particular and the human universal is especially pronounced in this week's Torah portion by Igash. Before reuniting with his brothers, Joseph had become, in effect, an Egyptian. The Bible makes a point of emphasizing that he shaved a unique Egyptian custom different from the Israelite tradition. He also probably shaved his head 
as we see in Egyptian hieroglyphics and other artifacts. He changed his tribal clothes for the clothes of an Egyptian. He changed his name. He's known in Egypt as Tsefenat Paneach, an Egyptian name meaning the Egyptian God speaks. That's the name Joseph chose for himself in Egypt. The Egyptian God speaks. It would be something like a rabbi today changing his name from, say, Joseph Lieb Rabinowitz to Jesus Lord Savior. Joseph married the daughter of an Egyptian priest. He named one of his children Menashe, which means something like, God has caused me to forget and completely suppress my past. And that explains one of the most central questions in the entire Joseph narrative. Since Joseph was all-powerful, the right arm of Pharaoh, why didn't he ever contact his family? One might understand that he was angry with his brothers who sold him into slavery, but why didn't he contact his loving father, Jacob, who all these years mourned what he thought was Joseph's death. Joseph could have sent messengers to Jacob. He could have visited him personally with a caravan of Egyptians. After all, nobody worked in Egypt between Christmas and New Year's. He could have texted him or emailed or befriended him on Facebook. Zoom was just invented. He could have Zoomed him or, you know, done one of those Zoom satyrs. But he didn't do any of it because he suppressed his Jewish identity. He was serving in the Egyptian government, wearing Egyptian clothes, taking upon himself Egyptian names, observing Egyptian custom, and absorbed in the Egyptian future. He observed none of the Jewish festivals, even when Christmas and Shabbat fell on the same time. He didn't give his Jewish identity a passing thought until his brothers reappeared. And that happens in this week's Parsha. The brothers bring him back to the past. F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote a famous essay called The Crack-Up. In it, he writes, a clean break is something that you cannot come back from. It's irretrievable because it makes the past cease to exist. While Joseph and his brothers were estranged, and while Joseph had a new life that cracked his connection to his family, it turned out that it was not a clean break. Joseph's relationships with his brothers and father was not irretrievable. The past did not entirely cease to exist for Joseph or his family. At the very moment that Joseph's brothers march into the palace seeking to purchase food during the long famine, they trigger an emotion that Joseph had suppressed for 22 years. At that moment, reconciliation begins, reunification with his family and the Jewish family is still possible. It was not a clean break. Joseph revealed his identity saying, it wasn't you who sent me here but God. 
I was sent here to save life. That is the reason and purpose for my life, he says. I have a reason for existence. I have a destiny. And it is a Jewish destiny. Joseph's brothers bring Joseph back. He still participates in Egyptian civilization. Until the end, he rules second only to Pharaoh. But he finds a balance between his Jewish identity and his Egyptian identity. Joseph and his brothers represent this tension between Jewish universalism and Jewish particularism, between the human family and the Jewish family, and we have to find a way to negotiate both. The sages describe the brothers being so concerned about losing their Jewish identity in Egypt that, according to the Midrash, they decide to build a Torah academy in Goshen, a yeshiva where they ultimately settled. There is a midrash that goes so far as to assert that Judah, one of the brothers, burned the wagons that Pharaoh sent to the land of Israel to pick up the family because those wagons were decorated with idolatrous symbols. And there's a beautiful midrash that describes the moment of meeting between Jacob and his beloved Joseph. As Joseph cries on the neck of his father, the Bible is silent as to what Jacob is doing. The sages assert at that very moment, Jacob was reciting the Shema, the most distinctive of Jewish prayers. If you read carefully the words of the Shema, which we will be reciting shortly, you can see clearly the dual character of Judaism. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, listen up, Jewish people, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai is our God, Adonai Echad, God is one, God is their God as well. There is only one God, the God of all, Jews, Christians, Muslims, Hindu, Buddhist, secular, atheists, the God of all. So here's my final message of 2020 in this sanctuary. On this day containing the hopes and prayers of billions of people worldwide for a better year ahead. If you're swept up in the emotions of Christmas and are feeling a bit deprived, suck it up. You will survive. You can take this envy of Yule to the shul. That would be cool. What better way to express the joy of tree and steeple than to praise and pray and be with your people? Rather than yearn for bells on sleigh, you can pray in the Jewish way. And then you can do whatever you please, even ordering from the local Chinese while taking in the remarkable news that all the other orders are from Jews. And so while our friends gather around log and tree to express their joy and heartfelt glee, praying for peace on bended knee, we can say that we agree 
amidst the gifts, the oohs and ah, we, like Jacob, can chant the Shema. Amen.